never leave early. Uh, some of you know I'm a, I'm a huge uh, baseball fan, but I'm an even bigger Dodger fan. And we have a reputation. We leave early. We, the parking at Dodger Stadium is horrendous. The traffic is worse. And so if there's a big lead one way or another, we're leaving early. And so about 10 years ago, my brother and I went to a game and everybody left early. It was a big game. And we were losing and everyone left. And so we use this as the opportune moment to move closer, get a better uh, a view, get to see what the, the expensive seats were like. And so we moved uh, up close. The most dramatic comeback in Dodger history, four home runs in a row. Home run, home run, home run, home run. Like it was amazing. In fact, and then they won the, uh, the next inning. A guy hit a home run. They won. My brother said, if there wasn't a security guard, I was jumping the, I was jumping the rail. I was going to go celebrate with the team on the field. That's how enthusiastic I was. So this last Saturday, we go to the Dodger game. We take the high school group to the uh, game. Uh, Matt Johnson, our high school pastor, took a group of students, and I had tagged along. And so about, uh, I don't know, about the seventh, eighth inning, one of the high school students, I won't say which one, but he's blood-related, said, how long are we staying at this game? I said, I was at the four-home run game. You never leave early. And I don't know if you saw what happened in the ninth inning, the last inning, down by three, Home run, home run, home run. Then three hits later, they win. Why, here's why you don't leave early. You get to dance and celebrate like these two right here. The kid who's saying, can we go home early, is jumping into the arms like it's Titanic to his, to his high school pastor. And the whole way home, as we got home, he's like talking about the greatest game ever. Now, I, I put this together on Wednesday, and I know for you that are mighty, I guess they're not mighty ducks anymore, the ducks, I'm sorry, I apologize. The duck fans, that, that comeback, I mean, literally has never happened ever in the history of hockey before. That was the mo- and So I hope you did not leave early. I have one friend who I know left early, didn't even know they won until the next day. So you never leave early. We are coming to the close of the story, and today we want to talk about finishing well. Now, I want to just say this. Uh, you guys, you're, you're almost done. We're almost done. And I, I got to say, I'm just so proud of our church. Think about it this way. How many of you are just so proud of yourself? You've ne- you haven't read a book let alone the Bible. Like you, you're just like, wow, look how big this, this 470, pa- you read 470 pages of the story going through. Uh, and, and you have not just been reading uh, 31 stories. You've been reading about 31 of the key themes of the Bible, how all these themes have been tying together to create this big upper story of God's desire to be in a relationship with us. And you've been seeing the unique way how in every theme and every story, God is pulling you in where your story and his story intersect, that you are designed, you're created, and God has been working so creatively, uh, so powerfully to pull us all back into relationship with him. And so we've been seeing all this, that we are designed for a life with him forever. And so what I want us to see in these last two chapters, how important it is to not leave early, to finish well. This is what we're going to see in these, in these last two chapters. This theme comes up. So chapter thirty of the story is a chance to kind of walk through Paul's final journey and and see kind of these these last moments of his life. And it's key, one of the key things that we see in this is that 
uh, as it comes to the end of the chapter, that some of the most important words, some of the, I think some of the most inspirational words of the Bible are, are mentioned at the end of the chapter as Paul speaks into the life of Timothy, uh, what he might call a son in the faith, someone that he, he had discipled, he'd raised, he was, he was mentoring. And so he wants to talk about how to finish well with Timothy. And some would say that in these words, and I'm going to put them here on the screen, um, these are, some of you said it this way, described it this way, this is kind of like Paul's epitaph, these, these words you'd put on his tombstone. But listen to the way that Paul describes the kind of closing chapter of his life. He says this, he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says, in essence, I have finished well. I might not have started well, but I finished well. And today, that's what I want us to think about. And so here's our big idea today, that if we want to fight the fight, if we want to finish the race, if we want uh, to keep the faith, then you must, must, must be committed to finishing well. We must be committed to finishing well. We cannot leave early from our devotion and our faith. Now, it's not hard to start things, is it? Uh, think about all the half built, half worked projects just around your own home, the piles, all these things you were going to do to change. It was going to change everything. This will revolutionize our family. And it's kind of halfway done. It's not hard to start things, but to finish things and to finish well, that's the challenge. And so here's what I want us to do. I want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It's page 1199 in the Bibles. Or if you want to turn to the story, Turn to chapter 30, and I would encourage you to go to page 457. It's towards the back of it. And I'll kind of walk you through that, what, what's happening in this chapter. But we really want to land on these, these words that Paul gives to Timothy. I want us to look at these end of days of him. And I want you to see some things that Paul says about how we finish well. The encouragement that he gives Timothy Words that as we kind of sit in our conversation, we know it's not just for Timothy to hear these things. These are words in which God wants to speak into our lives as well. So if we want to finish well, here's the first thing I want us to see is that it requires unwavering endurance. Unwavering endurance. Chapter 30 uh, opens up at the end of Paul's last missionary journey or his third missionary journey. And as he's making his way to Jerusalem, we realize that there is a significant threat for him to go to Jerusalem. And as he comes to uh, the, and speaks with the elders at the Ephesian church, they're, they're, they're asking him, don't do it. Um, but he, he wants to listen to him speak to him and listen to the, the sense of unwavering endurance in Paul's voice. He says this, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Why did Paul have unwavering endurance. 
first thing you see there is he understood the worth of his life. He understood the worth of his life. He, he, in essence, he knew what was worth living for. He knew what was worth dying for. And what was wor- the worth of his life was to be faithful. He wanted to be faithful to the task. He found value in completing the task that he was given. He found his life found value in being faithful to what Jesus had asked him to do. What is your life worth? Maybe think of it this way. Um, what is worth dying for? Maybe a better question. What is worth living for? And notice what Paul says. It's not about all the things I could accumulate. It's about what I could give. It's about giving my life away to the things that Jesus has asked me to give him. To be faithful. Now, Paul also had unwavering endurance because he knew this. He knew that he was not alone in anything that he faced. Uh, Think about Pastor Jason last week was telling you a little bit about some of just Paul's life and some of the things that he he experienced. Uh, The whippings, the the floggings. He was uh, uh, pelted with stones one time. He was shipwrecked. Everywhere, you even hear it in these words, everywhere I go. I know that trouble faces me. I know that persecution faces me. But maybe you, I hope you didn't miss the the beginning words. Compelled by the Spirit. So the Spirit is pushing me. The Spirit is telling me where to go. What Paul knows is this. I am not alone. There was this moment in Paul's ministry. One of the things that he, when he is describing all the things that he went through, he talks about this. Maybe you've heard this about this story. So he talks about one time that there is, he, he had some kind of affliction. We don't know if it was physical, if it was spiritual. He describes it this way. He calls it the thorn in my flesh. And he says this. He says there was something. He calls it the thorn in his flesh. He says it was so bad that I prayed three times. I begged God, please take this away. And you can imagine if you're Paul going through all these things and all the, the kind of kind of feel like you've got some chips at the table to, to use in prayer. Lord, if, if I can use some chips now, please, please, what I'm going through, I cannot, I cannot do this. Three different times he prayed and three different times God said no. And, and he had to endure it. But this is what he says. He, he, now listen to how he it, it described the way that he felt Jesus was uh, responding to his request. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, uh, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. He had unwavering endurance because he knew that whatever he went through, God was going to go through it with him. He wasn't just being told to go do it, give a report. I will be in it with you. I will give you strength. I will help you endure. Now, why why is this so important? Because when Paul was speaking to Timothy, considering everything he experienced, Paul had to tell Timothy this, you also will face trouble. He says this in verse 10. 2 Timothy 3.10 says this. You, however, you know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance. So he's saying, look, you know I've been faithful to God. 
And that faithfulness has brought persecutions and sufferings. He says, think about the things that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. There it is, that that sense of presence again. And then notice what he says to Timothy. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, not could be will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. If you want to live a godly life, you will face trouble. You will face trial. You will face persecution. I mean, we know this, right? You will feel the pressure to compromise your faith, to fit in or to get ahead. You will feel the pressure to be faithful to the end. Like a scene out of Gladiator, Bishop Polycarp was, was dragged into the, the Roman Colosseum. He was discipled by the Apostle John himself. And here he was, a, an old man. He'd been faithful. He had selflessly led the church at Smyrna. And, and he led them through, really, the prophetic season that John writes about in Revelation chapter 2. Where John told the church at Smyrna, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death. Now, John had died about 50 years earlier, but this voice of John's writings and John's impressions was still strong in the life of Polycarp. And so as he's being dragged into the the Colosseum, they're, they're chanting, let loose the lion, let loose the lion. And that's when witnesses say that they heard a voice from heaven that was audible above the crowd. Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. Now, days before, bounty hunters had, had, had gone and they had found him. And rather than resist them, Polycarp invited them in, made them a meal, and then asked for one final request. And the request was, could he have a time to pray? And during that two-hour time, as the men listened to his prayers, uh, They actually spoke of how many of them repented of their sin right there on the spot, just listening to his heart and listening to his words. However, they couldn't relent from their mission. And so just like Jesus being led in, Polycarp was led into the city on the back of a donkey. He was led into the Colosseum. And the Roman leader implored him to recant. He said, swear by the genius of Caesar. And Polycarp was silent. He prodded him. He said, swear and I will release thee, revile the Christ. And Polycarp's answer was this, 80 and six years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And so he was led to the center of the Colosseum three different times. It was announced, Polycarp has confessed himself to be a Christian. Polycarp has confessed himself to be a Christian. Polycarp has confessed himself to be a Christian. And the crowd was crazy. They were chanting for death by beast. And instead, the proconsul decided by fire. And so the executioners seized his wrist. They're about to nail him to a stake. And Polycarp stopped him. And he said these words. He said, he who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to do so without any help of your nails. And so they lit the fire. 
And as the fire began to grow, Polycarp prayed one last prayer. He prayed this, I bless you because you have thought me worthy of this day and this hour to be numbered among your martyrs in the cup of your Christ. And soon the flames engulfed him, but strangely enough did not consume him. And like a scene out of Daniel watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the, what they expected, the smell of burning flesh, instead the smell of frankincense was wafing through the Colosseum. The executioner then took a spear, he ran it through him, and he bled out. But not before he lived out John's words. Not before he could, he could live out and be the 12th martyr of Smyrna. Be faithful even to the point of death. And Polycarp died fearlessly. Polycarp died faithfully. Why did he have unwavering endurance? He wanted to finish well. He wanted to finish well. Why did Paul endure all the things that he endured? He wanted to finish well. And so Paul tells Timothy, you have to have this, this unwavering endurance. And then he says this, you have to have this unswerving devotion. Unswerving devotion. This devotion to the scriptures, to God's word. Uh, think about Paul for a second. Think about what you've seen over the last couple chapters. One thing that we, we know about Paul is that he was devoted to the word of God. He was trained under the best. He was trained under Gamaliel. He knew the word of God, but, but like many of the religious leaders, he had missed it on Jesus. He was looking for a different kind of Messiah. And so as he understood the scriptures, he missed who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. But one of the things that is so fascinating is that, that when Paul had his conversion experience, when Paul began to speak, it, it wasn't so much just about the experience. Paul could now reason from the scriptures. So as we've been tra tracing him through his different missionary journeys, Paul would go into a place, he'd find people, and he'd begin to reason from scripture, from the story, try to show that everything from the story has been moving to this point. That this has been God's plan. This is, that Jesus is God's plan. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. All this is about, we've been, we should have known this. We, we know this. This is part of God's story. In fact, when he spoke to the Corinthian church, he says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. That Christ died for our sins, notice, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He's not saying, look, this stuff happened, so we wrote it down. He's saying, look, everything in the scriptures was pointing to this. It was leading us to this. Don't you see that he is the fulfillment of everything Moses wrote, everything the prophets wrote, everything the Psalms speak of? He is the fulfillment of it. He was committed. He was devoted to the scriptures. And the people, we see this first church. We've seen it for the last couple of weeks. We've talked about that, how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to learning the word of God. So what would Paul say to Timothy? If, he, if, if the word of God was so important to him and in his whole ministry, if the early church, the, the word of God was so important for them to understand the story, to understand how Jesus fit into the whole thing, what does he tell Timothy uh, we, we see this. I, well, let me show you this. I just think this is just so fascinating. 
When Paul was on trial, in one of his moments of on trial, he has a chance to explain everything. Notice what he does. He says, that, it says this in Acts 28, verse 23. It says that he witnessed to them from morning till evening. Expl- you think my sermons are long. Explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. So when he had an audience, he took them through the scriptures to see that Jesus was this answer. Okay, so let's think about what he wants to say to Timothy. Notice next what he says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. We know this about Timothy. Godly mom, godly grandma. This is family ministry. From, from a, 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 as a child being grown up, has grown up, mom and grandma invested their lives in Timothy, teaching him the scriptures. And he says this, the scriptures, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to be thoroughly equipped, if you want to ha- then you, you, you have to have this unswerving devotion to the path that God's word wants to lead you on. You cannot go to the right or the left. You have to stay faithful to what God's word is showing you. And what he says to Timothy is what God's word will do is it will shape the way you believe. So he says this, he says that, that it will teach you doctrine, meaning it will, it will teach you things about God. But notice he says it will also correct you. That it will help you realize there are things you understand about God. And, and the word correction there makes to take something that's bent and to make it straight again. And he says that when, you're in the, when you learn the scriptures, you're going to realize there are things you think about life and about God. That once you're in the scriptures, that it's going to correct you. And it's going to make it straight. So it shapes the way that you believe, but it also shapes the way you behave. That word training means how you bring up a child. It's the instructions you give a child so that, that your child grows up with the right virtues. He says that, that the word of God will rebuke you, meaning it will, it will catch you and it will kind of uh, change your direction back to where it needs to be. We must have, if we want to finish well, if we want to stay on, that right, on the right course, then there has to be an unswerving devotion to God's word. We cannot swerve off to the right or left. We must be committed, loyal to God's word. And this is why we did the story. We wanted you not just to learn the stories of the Bible. We wanted you to learn the big God story. But one thing that was fascinating is people said this, watch what happens to your church. Uh, we talked to all these pastors that had done this series before, and they said this, you will see people will read the Bible in ways they've never read the Bible before. And some of you know this. You've read more of the Bible than you have ever read in your life. Now, in two weeks, does that mean you get to go back to not reading the Bible? I hope not. Uh, I want to encourage you. There's all kinds of practical things. There's all kinds of practical ways to help you. Even though we don't have the story book, there's a lot of ways. Just, so you, just to remind you, every week, on the back of your note page, there are some prompts. There are some questions that you can use for study, for reflection, for meditation, for prayer. Every week, it will kind of help you set your heart right for what we're going to talk about in the following week. On your phone, there's an app, a Bible app by YouVersion. 
there are more devotional plans on that app than probably in all the Christian bookstores in all of history. There are, it's amazing how much there is available to you. Just ask a pastor. We would love to help you figure out how to read the Bible, not just for information's sake, but for transformation, that you would not just think differently, but that you would live differently. The word disciple, it comes from this Greek word that means the mental effort needed to think something through. And so followers of Jesus are mindful, not mindless. We are mindful. We think about the word of God. We reflect on it and we we let it shape. We don't just read the Bible. We let the Bible read us and we let it shape who we're becoming. So Paul tells Timothy, be devoted unswerving devotion to the word of God. But here's the last thing to finishing well. You have to have an unshakable vision. You have to have an unshakable vision. And for Paul, the unshakable vision of finishing well was that someday he could see in his mind eye that someday he would stand before God, victorious, faithful. And so he uses this imagery. Notice again how he says it in verse eight. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here's his challenge to us. There is this day where we will come and we can stand before the Lord and in in grace and love and in victory. He uses this kind of imagery of of a, a victor standing before the judges and and being awarded this crown wreath. He says, that that vision captures me. In fact, we know it captures him because so many times Paul would use this metaphor. Uh, One of the times I, I love is in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, here's here's what I know. Here's what it's going to take to finish well. It, It takes vision. I mean, those of you who are runners know this. Those of you who have raced in track, you know this. It's not like how we were kids, right? And we all lined up to see who was the fastest on the block. And you're running and you're, you're, you're checking, you know, to see how you compete next to each other. Like good runners don't look left or right. They are so fixed on the tape. They don't even know if they've won sometimes. And Paul says, I, I am so fixed on that prize. It takes vision. But notice what the vision does. It creates passion. He says, I, I, I'm driven. I'm driven to compete. I, I race not to race because racing's fun. I race to win. I'm committed. I'm devoted. I am after this. I'm after that moment. I want to stand before the Lord knowing I've been faithful. So I discipline myself. I do the things that, that are required. I, I would say this. I, I think we get that here. I think Orange County families get this, don't we? Because all of our kids have personal tutors and coaches and, 
Because we want them to excel at whatever it is. So if we want them to excel in, in academics, we get special tutors. If it's athletics, we get their special coaches. If it's performing arts, whatever it is, we want them to excel so they can get into a UC or they can play professionally or they can uh, perform on whatever stage we dream of. We get it. It takes discipline. It takes hard work to get to those levels. But for some reason, we do not share that same passion for our spiritual lives, for our lives or for our kids, do we? And Paul says, when it comes to my faith, I, I live out my faith like an athlete competing to win. I discipline myself. I, I, I'm committed to this. And Paul says, it takes vision and it takes passion. You have to have an unshakable vision of standing before the Lord. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about someday I will stand before the Lord? I'll give account for my life. Do, do, you, get, do you look forward to that moment? I mean, see, I don't think Paul was afraid of that moment. I think Paul thought of that moment with such uh, passion and joy and love. Like he could not wait. Uh, uh, during our first service, I, uh, uh, the, the, the songs, the anthem, everything we did in the first service, there was something that happened. I don't know how to explain it. There was just something holy that happened. And we all felt it. And it was really strange because in that moment, I was like, oh my goodness, I get it. I, I, I can't wait till this veil is pulled back and we see him face to face. And with love and affection, he grabs me and says, well done. Are you moved by that moment of seeing him face to face? Paul, the vision of that for Paul was unshakable. He, could, he, he was willing to go through anything because of that. It requires an unshakable vision to be faithful to the end. So are you committed to finishing well? Are you committed to finishing well? Some of you think, well, I'm young. I've got time. I just want to simply uh, challenge you with this. It's called the law of the farm. There's no cramming on the farm, is there? You don't wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, it's going to be harvest next week. Plow the fields, plant the seeds. We got to get ready. Everything must be done in its season. Uh, when I became a father, well, well, when I found out I was going to become a father, we were in line for Space Mountain. Some of you know this. We were in line for Space Mountain. My wife takes us off the last chicken exit there. I don't quite understand why we can't. She goes, I can't ride the ride. I'm like, I, I don't get it. You have heart issues, back issues. And finally, I realized that we were pregnant and I was going to be a dad for the first time. And I, I picked up my wife. I carried her down. And then all of a sudden it hit me. I'm going to be a dad. And I panicked. I started hyperventilating. I, was, I took my hat off. I was breathing. Because <sighs> I don't know how to be a dad. I grew up in a single mom house. I don't know how this works. I don't want to screw up kids. So I made a commitment early on with my kids. I, I, I thought, it, what kind of dad do I want to be when they're adults? How do I want them to think about me then? Then I have to start doing that stuff now. 
I have to start working. If I want, I want them to say, hey, I trust my dad. I am, I have, there's intimacy with my dad. Then I have to work at those things now and build those things so that it happens. There's no cramming on the farm. You're not too young to begin to think about finishing well. Finish well in whatever season you're in. Now, some of you are thinking, well, it's too late for me. I just want to remind you, Paul's life is a life, uh, it's a turnaround life. Uh, In fact, Paul might say that most of his life was not about finishing well. But what we do is we see, I want you to see, notice this. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he describes himself this way. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So what happens between letter one and letter two where he can say, I finished well? We see all the things that he's telling Timothy. Uh, this endurance, this devotion, this, this vision and passion, these things. It's not too late. In fact, I hope for, I hope for one of my, my uh, most genuine prayers to the story is this, is that you are seeing that There are 31 chapters, 31 times that we're trying to show you God chooses the most unlikely people to tell his story. There's no one in here, and if anyone knows this, it is me. Uh, Someone who didn't grow up in church, had no idea how this thing worked. None of us, none of us have done so much that you you have disqualified yourself. God is calling you in to live with him, and then he's excited to say, let's Let's do this life together. And watch what he does when you begin to live for him. It's not too late. Paul said it this way. I love how he kind of gives a picture of it. He says, not that I've already obtained this. I've already arrived at my goal, but here's what I do. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's finish well. Let's finish well in our relationships. Let's finish well in our callings. Let's finish every season of our life well. In a moment, the ushers are going to come. They're going to uh, pass to you uh, the elements for communion. We're going to have a time where we remember how Jesus finished well. Jesus, on the last night of his life, did something for his, his disciples, both then and for us today. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is being broken for you. Eat it and remember me when you do. And then he took a cup and he passed it. He said, this cup represents my blood, which is being poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink it. And when you do, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. And so when we gather in a time like this and when we pass the bread and the cup, you know, it's funny, we call it communion. And I don't know if you know, the word communion doesn't mean uh, little wafer and grape juice. Um, The word communion implies intimacy. It, it, It And so what we're speaking more about when we call it communion is about an an experience, an encounter you're about to have with God himself. In these last moments, here's what I want. I want you to have a time of communion with God. 
I want you to pray about what it would take to finish well. And I want you to remember what Jesus has done for you because then when you, what you begin to see and know is I don't have to do this in my own strength. I don't have to finish well in my own strength. He will finish this race with me. He will run alongside of me. And so pray about the ways that maybe you feel like you're off course and you can confess those things and you can come back. Uh, think about the time when, he, remember Jesus said this, he goes, I'm not gonna drink from this cup until we drink all together in my kingdom. Think about this. Think about the, the words that, that the apostle Paul used when he described this. He says, we eat this bread, we drink this cup to proclaim his death until he comes again. This is one of those things that we take, not just to look back, but to look forward to that great day. And so if you feel off course, use this as a time of communion, of intimacy to get on course. Pray about what it takes right now in this season to finish well. But let me say this, if you, you can't finish a race you haven't started. So if you have not had the opportunity yet to start this race, to give your life, to, to, to receive his life, then here's what I want you to do. The trays are gonna come. Make sure you grab both cups. There's two. They're kind of sticking today, so you'll hear a lot of squeaking. That's okay. Grab both cups. And if you're not yet there, here's what you do. You grab those cups, you place it right in front of you, and you think about this for this moment. Do you want this life with him? Because Jesus wants it so bad with you that he was willing to break his body and shed his blood. He's here now. His presence, his spirit, and what he wants is for you to say, yes, come. I want to be yours. And what he will do is he'll wash away your sin. He'll fill your life with his spirit. And you'll begin a life not on your own for him. You'll live a life of his presence in you, with you. He will walk with you to finish well. If that's your desire, as the, as the elements come, take it and you make that your prayer today. And so let's pray. Jesus, we just pray that in this time, it would be truly a time of communion. Intimacy and, and just joy of who you are what you've done. May it inspire us to finish well, but may it also, Lord, uh, create in us anticipation of what is to come. Life with you forever. The joy of standing before you one day. The, the embrace, the words, the victory. Well done. Well done. Help us finish well, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.